Good. If you got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up. We're going to be at 1 Samuel um, 23 and 24 tonight. Best laid plans of mice and men anyway. As we take a look, continue to take a look at a, a man after God's own heart. Remember, as we go through this, especially now as we come to this time when we're studying about David and the things that David did. When the scripture talks about David being a man after God's own heart, it doesn't mean that he was different than you or I. He wasn't somehow made different. He didn't have a different spirit. He didn't have a different... He was just a guy who was surrendered to the Lord. The concept of a man after God's own heart is someone who keeps the Lord central. And some of the things that really stick out about that in David's life or in these next few chapters. And it's during that time, his 10 years living out of caves, that God trains him and prepares him. But you already see an attitude in David that says, you know, I'm not going to self-promote. That's a big deal for the man after God's own heart. Not only will he not self-promote himself to king... Not only will he take Saul's life when he has opportunity, but when he is king and there's a rebellion against him, he does not fight. He walks away. He says, maybe the Lord has taken this kingdom away from me. So he just walks out of the city. Takes a moment to, to regroup and seek the Lord. Scripture lays out for us that if someone was to smote you on the cheek jesus said what turn the other one to him also are we able to do that the bible tells us that when jesus was reviled he did not revile in return when he was spit upon he didn't spit on them when he was smote he didn't smite whatever was going on in jesus life the bible tells in in first peter chapter two it lays out for us that Jesus committed himself into the hands of the Father, who judges righteously. He did not take matters into his own hands. David, though not perfect in this regard, that's something that you really see in his life. He's, not gonna, he's been anointed king, right? Samuel came, dumped oil on his head, you're going to be the next king. He served the king that was there at the time. He fought all his battles for him. He had opportunity to pull a spear out of the wall and throw it back at him, but he never did it. He never tried to exalt himself. The Bible says very clearly, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and what does he do? He'll lift you up. We don't have to self-promote. We don't have to... In fact, the problem, the reality is the problem with self-promotion is it leads to selfishness. And then we start looking about how does this situation affect me? And you know, if you're thinking about how a situation affects you, it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice, isn't it? Or rather, we, we have to be able to think about others before we think about ourselves. Philippians chapter 2 tells us to esteem others greater than yourself. To think about others first before you worry about you. Hey, we have two brothers in the church who have been greatly beloved of God. Did you guys know that? Ron and Dave Plue have Harleys. God have mercy on their soul. <laughs> greatly, greatly beloved of God. 
But as, as the Lord has blessed them, honestly, I just rejoice for them. Amen. I'm stoked for them. Hey, we should never, if, if, if God blesses somebody and gives them something new, if the Lord was to bless somebody in the fellowship and they, and they won lottery or they bought a new house or they got a new car, we should never have the attitude that says, that's nice, what about me? Our attitude should be that to be able to celebrate with them, right? To rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Jesus said. Because unless you learn to rejoice with those who rejoice, you won't mourn with those who mourn. Because secretly you'll be thinking, oh, it's about time something bad happened to them. We don't want to be like that. We, if we're going to be a man after God's own heart, then we're going to have to control those issues, those things within us, those things within our spirit. Well, as we look... Huh? Tell us how you really feel. That's how I feel, man. They let me write it, so I'm okay. So as we pick it up in chapter 23, <clears throat> we see David is, has already left. He's fled. He's, he's uh, uh, hiding. The, the destitute, the poor, the upset, the frustrated have all come to him. And they form uh, David's mighty men. In chapter 23, it says, And they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And they are robbing the threshing floors. Now, if you were with us when we went through the book of Judges, you'll remember this. Whenever the enemies of God, what they would do is they'd wait outside the city and pretty much leave Israel alone until harvest. At harvest time, they'd swoop in and steal the harvest. That way they had plenty of food and the Israelites were hungry. So this is what the Philistines are doing. They're, they're swooping into Keilah. Now, Keilah is going to be an important city when we come to study the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we'll wait for that as we get to that point, but it'll be mentioned again at that time. So there's a city who's having a harvest, and David hears that the Philistines have been ripping them off. The Philistines have been going in and stealing. Look at verse 2. Therefore David decided to go and attack, right? The Bible says, therefore David inquired of the Lord. Now it would seem to you and me by logic that of course God is going to send David to defend the people. Man or woman after God's own heart never assumes what the Lord is calling him to do, but will always inquire of the Lord first. In this particular situation, you'll remember, David, who's anointed the next king, has a prophet, uh, Gad, who's among them, and he has the high priest. Remember, Saul slaughtered the priesthood. He left one alive. That makes him the, the high priest by default. And, and so he flees with the ephod when we went through uh, uh the pentateuch we studied deuteronomy and leviticus we talked about the ephod the ephod was like a vest that the high priest wore on the breastplate was 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of israel and somewhere either upon inside or a part of that breastplate was what is called the uum and the thumum the lights and perfection the these was the way, this was the way that God spoke through the high priest. There's all kind of speculation. Nobody knows what the Urim and the Thummim were. They don't know if it was two other stones or if the Lord, if the, if the stones on the breastplate would, would light up somehow and that would tell them. They don't know. Nobody knows. All they know is in the ephod of the high priest, that, that vest that he wore, God would utilize that in some way to speak to the high priest. Well, Saul killed the high priest. Saul slaughtered the priesthood. 
Saul's been rejected from being king. The Holy Spirit's not with him anymore. And now, for Saul, he has no way to seek the Lord. See, he doesn't have what we have today. You and I, we don't need somebody else to help us seek the Lord, right? We can just go to him. But at this time, they had to do it through the high priest. The high priest was the, was the voice for them of God. So they would bring their, their deal to the, the king, would bring his deal to the high priest. The high priest would pray. God would speak through the Urim and the Thummim, and he would deliver that message then to the king. Well, now David has all that. He's not king yet. And the high priest is really a rejected high priest. But they are there on the Lord's side. And the first thing David does, he doesn't assume. He doesn't say, well, of course we got to go because bad things are happening to good people and we have to stop it. Is that always the case? See, God doesn't always stop bad things from happening to good people, does he? And if he doesn't stop it, is there a purpose in it or is God just being arbitrary? Personally, I believe there's a purpose. I believe there's, there's a plan. I believe God's doing something maybe we can't always grasp. So when we look at those situations and we see those events occurring, rather than flying off and becoming a part of it without seeking the Lord, a man or woman after God's own heart seeks Him first. And that's what David does. First thing he does. No plan for battle. No other concept. He just inquired of the Lord. And he inquired and said, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So God tells him, yeah, I want you to go. I want you to go save them. But David's men, look at verse 3. David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? David's men are saying, look, we're 600 guys. We got Saul chasing us on one side and the Philistines on the other side. I mean, wouldn't it just be better for us just to chill out and stay out of this? We have our own problems. You ever felt that way? See, in this, we see uh, uh, what looked to be obvious, but David sought the Lord. And then there's an objection raised by his men. There's an objection raised by his men saying, hey, you know, is this really our deal? We have our own problems. What I love about David, a man or woman after God's own heart, is they, he does not rebuke his men. He just goes and asks the Lord again. He's not angry at his men for their lack of faith. He's not frustrated with his men. He just says, well, let's ask the Lord. Let's ask him together. Let's talk to him. I mean, the Lord is able to deliver by many or few, right? So, the very next thing we see in verse 4, David does the same thing again. Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And that was the end of it. So David said, Let's go. What makes the, the mighty men of David so incredible is, through his leadership, not his perfection, but because of his leadership, because he was so uh, focused on pleasing the Lord and being close to the Lord, his men followed him no matter what. No matter how crazy he was, no matter how loco things got, no matter how you know nutty things seemed to be, no matter what. David's men, these guys, they're always with him. Thick or thin, they're together. Well, it says in verse 5, 
So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. Struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. We see even in verse 5, God using this circumstance to provide for David and his men's needs. They end up with the livestock of the Philistines. So that means they've got food and horses and the things that they need to, to be better equipped. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Remember, the high priest, so the high priest is traveling. Now, the tabernacle, they're not in the tabernacle. It's all been messed up. It's the worship of, of Yahweh is all messed up at this time. The priesthood's decimated. There's people sent everywhere. The king's caused all kind of grief. You got a priest running around, and, and the Bible just wants to make sure you realize he's got the ephod with him. He's got this breastplate through which when he speaks to God, God speaks to him so he can tell David what's going on. So the scripture wants to make sure that we are aware. He has the ephod with him. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now most people believe that the call that Saul put out was a call to go to war against the Philistines. And the people answered that. Remember the Philistines were attacking Keilah. Most guys agree that the people were unaware at, the, at that point that they were going after David. They think they're going to the Philistines. Saul knows what they're doing. Saul knows we got David. He's pinned in there. We're going to go get him. We're going to take care of him. So Saul called all the people together for war to go and besiege David. And David knew that Saul plotted evil against him. So he said, the Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod. And David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come. So the first thing the Lord tells him, Saul's coming. He's going to come down. And David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will. That's, that's the guys David just saved. That he just went to bat for. You ever felt like, I don't know, people you are trying to help, the, you know, the, the dog you're trying to feed, biting the hand of the one who's trying to feed him is not so good, right? There's lots of proverbs about that. So why should we help people? I'm going to say an example of an unregenerate heart, right? They're not saved. They don't have the grace of the Lord working in their life. And sometimes when they do, they can act the same way. You reach out and you try to help. You try to, to do what you think the Lord is calling you to do in somebody's life. And, and they turn around at the first opportunity and stab you in the back. Should we then bother? Should we be a part of that? Some people say no. But I think that's not what the Bible teaches us. I think the Bible wants us to reach out. I think the Bible wants us to be a part. And I think it does say these things to us for three reasons. Three things that we'll see in this story. First, for our present satisfaction. Remember, as soon as David got there in verse 5, 
the needs of his men were met by the livestock of the Philistines. There are times when we help people that there's going to be that gratification that we receive as a result of helping them. It's just an immediate thing that occurs through the process of of reaching out and being a part. Immediately that comes to us. But the scripture also tells us that there are eternal rewards for doing these things as well, aren't there? And at the ultimate judgment of the nations, the Lord is going to stand before the nations and say, You, on my right hand, enter into the kingdom. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they're going to say, Lord, when did we do these things to you? And the Lord's going to say, When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. The idea of eternal rewards. But even more than that, Jesus gives us the same concept. Just hold your place here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. As we come to Matthew chapter 5, we we come to a portion of the scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, or around verse 11, this is what Jesus had to say. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, For my name's sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the Lord's saying, even if you are trying to help, think about the prophets. Weren't the prophets trying to help the people? The Lord would speak to a prophet, say Jeremiah or Isaiah. And they go and they bring the word to the people. Here's, what, here's the word of correction from the Lord. Do this and you will miss out on that. Don't do this and this is what's going to happen to you. Jeremiah was thrown into a dungeon and Isaiah was sawn in two. It's the way they always treated the prophets. Jesus said, Stephen, remember Stephen in the book of Acts? When he's ha- given his, uh, his dissertation to the To the Sanhedrin, the very same people who crucified Christ, his response to them was, To which of the prophets did not your fathers kill? Which ones didn't they slaughter when God would bring his word? Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are hated without a cause. Not because you've gone out and done evil, but because you've done good. When we reach out and help people, the Lord says, hey, there's an eternal reward for that. Because you are being the hands and feet of Christ. Whether or not they receive it that way has nothing to do with anything. What was in your heart when you did it? Were you doing it as unto the Lord? Because when we do it as unto the Lord, there's an eternal reward. There's that personal gratification that occurs at the moment the concept scripture teaches us of eternal reward but there's also the third thing the third thing is there but by the grace of god go i david's looking at Keilah, who is going to betray him and sell him out to saul why is there no priesthood Because David went to the priests and lied to them to save his own skin. 
And Saul, because he was angry and thought that the priests were a part of it with him, slaughtered them all. Don't you think David, when he's standing there in Keilah, he's thinking, man, how can I be angry at these guys? I did the same thing. I'm guilty. I mean, I'm guilty of having the same attitude that they have. And it's true. When we we reach out and help people and they have a, a, a bad attitude at some point toward us, just think back in your past and just hope there's not a time like that for you. When somebody did something or was reaching out to you and at some point it all went south. The Lord says, hey man, we are all, every one of us, sinners, fallen, none exalted above the other. None of us can grab the stars. It's only God. It's only the Lord that enables us to do that. So I think for these three reasons, we should go. That David should have helped Keilah. That when the Lord leads us to help, when the Lord leads us to reach out, when God encourages us to do something, regardless as to how it's received, we ought to do it. Because we're not doing it for them. We're doing it as unto the Lord. Why did David go to Keilah? In obedience to the Lord. Did he go there so that the men and women of Keilah would think he was a great guy? No, maybe he thought that would happen, but he went there to please the Lord. And so when this word comes, he's just going to do what the Lord asked him to do. Look what he says. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. And it was told Saul that David had escaped Keilah, so he halted the expedition. So Saul's going to go get him. He's not going to go pat him on the back for the victory that he just did because Saul, when he's king, is supposed to protect the people, right? But uh, he's not there, so David's doing it. And the very people David protects rise up against him. Now, does that sound like anybody else on the pages of Scripture? Like, I don't know, maybe the creator of the universe who came into his own and his own received him not? Who tabernacled with us who walked around oh i don't know some six days prior to crucifixion raising the dead four days prior to the crucifixion healing the blind and the lame and the same people who shouted hosanna hosanna in the highest in four days time are going to shout crucify him very similar isn't it the son of David, the Messiah, and the story of David walked out on the pages of Scripture for us. Well, David flees and Saul halts the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. I like that word, Ziph. If I had found it earlier, one of my kids could have been named that. Ziph. Why? Because Ziph means refining place. If your kids are not a refining place for you, I don't know what is a refining place. What do you mean? You know that place where the fire gets turned up really hot (laughs) and all the dross, the garbage in your life is burned away? And our children can help with that. It just comes natural, their ability to do so. For David, he comes to Ziph. It's a place where the Lord turns up the fire. 
It's a place where he refines it. Literally, the refiner's fire would, would, would burn hotter and hotter and hotter in the, in the gold or the silver, and the dross would rise to the top. That's the, the imperfections. And the dross would be scraped away, and it would be continued to be done over and over again until the image of the man refining was evident in the reflection of the gold or silver. When he could see his face reflecting back, it was pure. The Lord does the same thing in our life. He turns up the heat. He turns up the fire. And James, what does it say? Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that your trials produce within you patience. A patience, character, character, hope. There's an event that takes place. There's a, a, a series of things that occur in the midst of the refiner's fire. Isaiah said that we are perfected in the furnace of affliction. I always like that. Perfected in the furnace of affliction. That the Lord does that refining. And that refining place for David is here. Ziph. That's what it means. The refining place. He brought him to the refining place. But listen. Look at this. I love this. Saul sought him every day. What's the next two words? But God. But you ought to do a search through the scriptures. Of how many times those two words come together. How many times... uh, Joseph said, you, my brothers, meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. The events that occurred in Joseph's life. Over and over again in, in Ephesians it says, and such were some of you that we were evil sinners dead in our trespasses and sin. What's the next phrase? But God, who is rich in his mercy with which he has loved us. He has done that perfect work of making us clean. Over and over again in the scripture, Saul's chasing David, but God won't let him have him. Hey, there's going to be a lot of issues that will arise in the life of a believer. But listen, there will never be your ultimate defeat. There are a lot of battles that you will fight. Some you may win, some you may lose. But you will not ever be defeated because Jesus Christ has already won. The victory is won. You fight from victory, not for victory. It is done. It is finished. It is completed. We can hold on to him and know that he ultimately is going to deliver. And that is the message that God is teaching the man after God's own heart in Ziph. Yeah, David, Saul's chasing you. He's going to chase you for 10 years. Off and on, thick and thin, he's going to be going after you. And in that time, God is working in David the character that David needs to be king. And the same thing in our lives. The same thing in the struggles that we face. God is developing within us the character we need to be successful. To be men and women after God's own heart. Whatever the Lord allows in our life is for our good and his glory, even if you can't understand why. Because the word says so. The word says that's what he's doing. But God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest, in the refining place. It's a time in the refiner's fire. The fire's cooking, and David's going to write, The majority of the Psalms during this time. 
you know, those things we like to read when we're down or our souls are downcast or we're dealing with different things. We go to the Psalms, the ones he wrote. Many of them during this time. And look at this, verse 16. Verse 16, I love verse 16. I, 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 this, this is that, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. This is that friend in the Lord that is irreplaceable. This is Paul's Barnabas. This is David's Jonathan. I mean, it's, it's just that guy who has the right word of encouragement at the right time. Thick and thin, no matter what's going on. The whole world seems like it's after David, but not Jonathan, man. Jonathan's there. Verse 16 says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods. Saul couldn't find David no place. But John, it's almost like in the pages of Scripture, Jonathan decides, I'm going to go encourage David. He don't have any problem finding him. Well, why didn't he have a hard time finding him? Because he loves David. Not only does he love David, he loves the Lord. God doesn't have to hide and blind his eyes or make him like crazy old Saul so he can't, he can't find the one he seeks. Jonathan just goes to the woods and finds him. He doesn't go to the woods and find him and tell him, man, what are you doing? What are you thinking? He doesn't berate him. He doesn't have a lecture. He doesn't have something in mind to try to straighten out David. He goes to David, what's it say, and strengthened his hand, how? In God. Now, we could learn a lesson in that. One of the first things they teach you in, in the, the school of hard knocks for pastors is what to and not to say when you go to somebody's house who's dealing with a problem. Sometimes you walk in and there, there's been a tragedy. Someone's died, people are hurting, and you want to come in and say something. Let me just give you the fast track to what to do. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That is probably the best lesson you will ever get. God gave you two ears and how many mouths? One. So listen twice as much as you talk. That's the rules. Go and listen. Just go and listen. You don't have to have some incredibly wise thing to say you pray lord by your spirit anoint me to to share what you would have me share the scriptures you would have me read the things that you would have me do but if god is not speaking in your mouth close it and listen with your ears and just give somebody a a a ear that they can hear mourn with those who mourn rejoice with those who rejoice just be there You don't got to say anything until the Lord tells you. And you better make sure it's the Lord. You know a great way to know it's the Lord? If it's scripture. (laughs) And if it's uplifting. Right? Ephesians chapter 4 says what? Let how much unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth? Oh, good. That means none, right? So that means it's not your job to just let somebody have it with the word, right? It's your job to build them up. But only such words as give grace to the hearers edify and build up. That's what the word says. Edify and build up. If somebody's in the wrong, can we do that through edification? Sure. Sure we can. 
Sure we can. That's the the heart that we want to have. A heart that brings the ability to build up. The ability to encourage. To strengthen weak knees. And the the legs that aren't able to hold people up. Do we want to be able to do those things? And that's what the word is declaring for us. Hey, go strengthen your brethren. But how? In God. Hey, I don't know how to explain what's happened or why you're hurting, but I know this. Jesus loves you. No matter what, Jesus loves you. He wants to comfort you. He wants you to know that he knows the thoughts that he thinks of of you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's plenty good enough. Sometimes people are mad at God. Maybe in this place, David's having a struggle. Man, I know God said I'm going to be king. And I just went and saved these people, and now I'm running from Saul. And Jonathan just comes and says what? David, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's going to make you king one day. Just trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. He strengthened him in his relationship with God. And that's what the man who sticks, a friend, the Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? That's a great example of that concept, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But there have been those that the Lord has brought, just like this, to strengthen. And he said to him, do not fear, the hand of Saul my father won't find you. You will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Jonathan says, man, you're going to be king It's going to happen, and I'm going to be next to you. That's not going to happen. This is the last time David ever sees Jonathan. Last words they ever speak. Their plan was, Jonathan was stoked. Man, David, when you rule, imagine what we're going to be able to do. Two guys, totally sold out to the Lord, uh, fighting on the same side. Man, God's going to deliver the people in a mighty way. I can't hardly wait to do the, the things and fight the battles that lay before us. I can't wait to be your second. That's a neat guy right there. It's tough to, to play that role, isn't it? To play the second. You got to be a man properly equipped of God to do that. I praise God we have one of those guys here. His name's Fritz. And whenever I'm gone, he covers. And whenever he covers, people get saved. And if you want to be if you want to just get blown away a little bit at the at the gifts that God has given Fritz, Go around and ask the people in the church how many of them are here or got saved as a result of his testimony or him talking to them. And all of a sudden you're going to go, holy cow. God has used him all over the place. But it's never been that desire that says, I got to be the guy in charge of everything. It has always been, hey man, I'm just going to do what God's called me to do and gifted me to do. It's not about self-promotion. It's about promoting the name of Christ, right? You've got to count yourself as a body, as a body of Christ. We've got to count ourselves blessed to have been gifted, to have somebody like that to be a part of the ministry at Calvary Chapel Buell. A lot of places don't have that. It ain't everywhere. 
But it's here. And it's here. On the pages of scripture. Listen verse 18 it says. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods. And Jonathan went to his house. Jonathan goes back to the palace. David's living in a cave. But they know one day. One day it's all going to come together. Well scripture tells us in verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying. Hey David's hiding with us in strongholds. In the hill of Hachilah. Which is in the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part will be deliver him to deliver him into the king's hand. So there he is in Ziph. And the people of Ziph turn him into the king. It would be hard as David to become king one day and not want to go get even. Don't you think? Okay, I remember you little Ziphites. Sold me out. When I'm king, I'll get you. But we don't see that in the man after God's own heart. Because the same way that the Lord entrusted himself into the Father's hands, we and David here trusted himself into the Father's hands. The Lord judge. Lord judge, I don't need to do it. I don't have to do anything now therefore, O king, come. So it says in verse 21, Saul said, Blessed are you, O Saul. Having a blessing from you is so important to me. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Yes, that's how it works, right? God blesses you for having compassion on us all. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there? For I'm told he's very crafty. He's a sneaky one. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides. Come back to me with a certainty and I will go with you and it shall be. If he is in the land I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon which is in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him they told David therefore he went down to the rock. Isn't that interesting? You know how many times that happens in the scripture? In fact, David wrote a psalm. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. How many times are we going to see David run to the rock? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that rock is Christ. The one whom we run to. The blessing of that rock is you can cling to that rock and won't be moved. There's strength in that rock. Nobody's moving the rock. Nobody will move the Lord. Well, David runs down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David to the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made a haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. So he hits about over. David's behind the mountain. Saul's coming around that mountain to encircle him. David doesn't have anywhere to go. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I better just line up and fight, right? I should just go out. It's, it's, it, he's going to get me. He's going to win. David would write in the Psalms of the Lord, Be still and know that I am God. God doesn't need your help. That phrase, be still, means just get your hands out. Stop meddling and let me do my thing. 
So it looks bad for David. He's getting surrounded, but what happens? Just at that moment, it just happens, a coincidence, that a messenger comes to Saul and says, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Huh. Just looks like the darkest hour. David's not sure what to do. And then all of a sudden, Saul leaves. Is God able to deliver? Does he need anybody to do it? If he did it then, he can do it now. That's the way God moves. That's the way God works. Man, we just want to realize, we just want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. So therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place Selah Hamalekoth. The rock of escape or the rock of protection. That rock is Christ. And David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi, the Mount of the Kid. That's what Engedi means. It's full of goats. Still today, it's full of goats. You walk through Engedi, there's goats everywhere goats in the top of the trees, goats on the cliff, and rock chucks. They got rock chucks everywhere. They call them something else there. I don't remember what they call them. Conies, yeah. But they don't want to shoot them. And they say things to you like, you don't have no conies. Or they, these aren't in Idaho. Oh, yeah, they're everywhere. We shoot them and have fun with them. But they don't appreciate that in Israel. They protect their, their critters so far. Even the conies that are all over the rocks is why we call them rock chucks. But anyways, <clears throat> so that's where he's at in chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines. It was told him, take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats in Gedi. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road and there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of this cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord had said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Rule number one. Always beware the advice of friends. They're not God. And no matter how much they think they might be the Holy Spirit, they may not be the Holy Spirit. What's David's friend say? Look, man, look, there he is. Saul, come into the cave. God has delivered him into your hands. Kill him. And it'll be over. We can move into the palace. That was their advice. Hey, God has delivered him. Look, we're in the cave. There he is. Just kill him. And let's go. It's all there for you to take. Reach out and take it. The kingdom right there. Just grab it. Well, David won't do it. David won't do it. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. In ancient Mesopotamia, the authority of a family was put in the hem 
of their robe. Jesus said, remember, actually, as we go into, uh, or the Lord laid out for us in Leviticus, uh, that their robe was to have a blue border, right? The blue border speaking of heaven, that they're God's special people, different from everyone else. And then on the edge of that blue border, there would be 613 tassels. Why? For the 613 commandments that are found in the pages of Scripture. And on those tassels, sometimes if they were really wealthy, they'd make the hem really big. Because it cost a lot of money to get that blue dye. If they were poor, it was real thin. So you could tell someone's station by their hem. You remember the woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years? Remember I told you in ancient Mesopotamia, the authority of the family or the person was thought to be in the hem of their garment. So she said, if only I could touch his hem, right? If I could just touch his hem, I'll be healed. When Ruth came to Boaz and she laid at his feet in the, in, the, in the book of Ruth, when Boaz woke up, she said, Will you cast your hem over me? Will you cover me with your authority? You're my Goel, kinsman redeemer. David, in cutting the hem of Saul's garment, was saying, You're cut off. You're cut off. He goes and he cuts the corner of Saul's robe. And it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. The symbolism is you're cut off from the Lord. Your line is cut off. Your authority is cut off. And David was troubled because he had done that little thing to God's anointed. Does God need our help? He don't. Does he need our defense? Wise man once told me a long time ago, if you start getting in the habit of defending yourself, defending yourself is all you're going to do. You just do what God's called you to do. The Lord can be his own defense. He don't need us. David cuts the hem and he's bothered by it. It, it. it hurts him. And he said to his men, listen to this. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. He's the Lord's anointed. To stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. He's talking about Saul. This is what David is saying. God made him king. God will make him not the king. I don't have to do it. Occasionally, there arises things in churches. Maybe some of you have experienced this. called a church split. There will be things that occur. Something happens and a church is divided. And a lot of times it's, it's in one way or another around leadership. Um, Paul said of the Corinthians, some of you say you're of Apollo. Some say you're of Paul. There's a schisma. There's a division within the body of Christ. We're all Christ. We know it's not about the leadership or the things going on. But David gives an example about the anointed of God. David says, if God has raised up, for example, if the Lord has raised up for you a pastor, it's not your job to take him down. God is able. He put him there, didn't he? If he didn't, then you're saying God's not sovereign and somehow you did something outside of his will. Is that possible? If God is sovereign and in control, can, 
We can be outside, perhaps outside his perfect will, but certainly not outside of his influence, can we? Saul, was he a good king? Right on guy? Solid, you know, Bible teaching, or was he off track? He's off track, wasn't he? And David, who was next to be or to rule, he just waited for God to do it. Right? Can there be a church split if that's our attitude ever? No, we just wait for God to do the thing. For God to make the change. For God to do the work. I was a part of one of them groups one time, pointing at a pastor thinking, this guy's got to go. That's a dumb place to be. There was nothing good about it. And as I studied the life of David, I realized I was wrong. So instead of looking to find a way to cut his legs out from under him, I became his second. And I took the role to make sure whatever he asked, whatever direction God led him, my job was to make sure it happened. Because if God didn't want him there, God would take him out. Not my job. My job is to further the kingdom of God. To go where he's called me. Right? To be what he's asking us to be. That's our role. That's what David is telling the men. Okay? He's telling the men, hey, it's not our job to take down the king. If God wants to take him down, he'll take him down. He'll remove him. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. That's called humility. David bowed before an unjust king. Because in David's heart, who was he bowing to? To God's God's anointed. In all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. David bowed down with his face to the ground. And David said, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. And this is the key. Let the Lord judge between you and me. Amen. That's, that's a big chunk of what it means to be a man or woman after God's own heart. Not I'm going to get you because you got me. Not I'm going to say this to you because you said this to me. Not you. David at one time says, you know what? I almost lost heart when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Isn't that what he said? 
He said, when I saw the wicked prospering, when I saw them getting away with it, you know what they say, you know what they do, you know what they've done? Then David said, until I went into the house of the Lord, and I saw their end. Hey, either God is able to be your defense or he's not. If you're thinking you need to be your defense, then I'm here to say you're not submitted to God. You may believe, but you're not submitted. You're not surrendered. You're living your life in the power of you. Because you need to defend yourself. One of the greatest stories there will ever be of this was in 1958. When missionaries flew down into the Amazon. Most of us know the story. If you saw the movie The End of the Spear, it tells the story of these Five missionary men, all of whom were married and had families. When they went down and made contact with the Aka Indians, which is a derogatory term. It just means naked. They, they didn't have clothes. They were, had not been touched by outside man. And they lived a very violent life of killing one another. They killed each other with spears. They speared everybody. Every child, every person in the tribe had... A, had a relative or had personally stabbed someone with a spear. That's what they did. They're trying to reach out to them with Jesus Christ. In the movie, one of the things that they portray, it comes out in the book, The Gates of Splendor as well, is the idea that the men, as they flew down within the plane, they had rifles and they had pistols. And the one son asks his dad, Dad, if the, if the tribesmen come after you, if they try to kill you, are you going to shoot them? And he said, no. They don't know Christ. We do. So we're going to try to scare them. You know, big boom stick. Loud, hard sound. Maybe they'll run away. Well, they make contact a few times. They get into to where they're making contact with the tribe. And things seem pretty good. So they decide to make personal contact and land the plane. And they go in and things are looking good. But what you discover is that the two people that were there at the plane were, was a boy and a girl who weren't supposed to be together. And when the other tribesmen find them together and their way back to the tribe, they're going to kill them both because they were doing something they weren't supposed to do. So in order to not be killed, they said, we were kidnapped. These guys are white people out there on the beach. So that party that was looking to stab those two people turned around and headed to the plane. When they got to the plane, they weren't interested in talking. They weren't interested in listening to anything. They came for one purpose. And they did not shoot one. They tried to run. They tried to get away. They tried to scare them away, and every one of them died. Because they entrusted their lives to the hands of the God who judges rightly. Well, what value is there in that? They're all gone. Every one of their kids was raised without a dad. Every one of those wives 
Some would marry another. Some never would. But a couple of his wives, through continued contact with that tribe, move in and live in that same tribe that killed their husbands and raise their children whose fathers were killed in a tribe full of children whose fathers had been killed the same way. And through that sacrifice, the Holy Spirit begins to move until every one of those tribes members got saved. Because of those five men's sacrifice, every Indian that they didn't shoot will spend eternity with Christ. That's what it is to be submitted to God. We have a hard time doing it when somebody cuts us off. But that's how they did it. In the extreme. That's how David did it. I won't touch you. I will let God judge between you and me. Not my job. What can man do to you? Kill you? Do you not hear the words of Paul? Have you not read? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul said, I look forward to being with Christ. Holding death over my head doesn't scare me at all. That just means I go to be with the Lord. So where's the downside? Jesus Christ is, gonna, is going to be the one who reconciles all things. It's either true or it's a lie. If it's true, you don't have to worry about what you think you lost. Jesus said, if you've lost mother or father or child or house for my name, you will receive greater here and in the life to come. It's true or it's a lie. I believe it's the truth. If it's the truth, we should stop playing games without being submitted. We should stop pretending. We should start being who God wants us to be. In reality, in truth, what does God want us to be? How does God want us to be? As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand will not be against you. No matter, David says, no matter what you do to me, Saul, I will not be against you. Later on, we're going to read, Saul dies in battle. And the guy who kills Saul, who's a part of, of uh, helping Saul die... Saul asks him to kill him. He comes to David thinking that David's going to give him a reward. He comes to David and he says to David, Hey, hey, David, 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 now that you're king, I just want you to know I'm the dude who killed Saul, man. I'm the dude. You got a reward for me? And David said, Yeah, just a second. And he grabbed the sword and he hacks him into little pieces. And he says to him, Who are you to touch God's Anointed. David was serious about that. He was serious about committing all judgment to God's hands. And I think that's a really big aspect of what it is to be a man or woman after God's own heart. In verse 14, he says, After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who am I? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord judge and judge between you and me. And see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. He commits himself to the hand of God. 
So it was when David was finished speaking these words that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. You have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord, you will not cut off my descendants after me. You will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. Saul went home. David and his men went to the stronghold. David promises not to hurt any of the family of Saul. But the family of Saul is going to suffer a lot of hardship. Because sometimes when a family is led by the wicked, the righteous perish as well. But not forever. Remember, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But then we have to pick that up in the rest of the story. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this time. We could come before you and just study your word. Lord, I pray, God, that we would indeed have hearts to see. Hearts to realize it's not my job to defend myself. It's not my job to make sure that I, that I go out and get everybody who's ever done me wrong. But if I want to really have the spirit of Christ in me, then I don't revile against those who revile against me. When they slap one cheek, I'll turn the other to them also. I will entrust all judgment to the hands of God. Because I don't know what's necessary for this other person to be saved but God does and I am not going to despair over the prosperity of the wicked because if the wicked has prosperity here it will be the only place he has it and for all eternity it's not worth trading God I pray that you would help each of us to learn to discern what it means to be a man or woman after God's own heart, to make you primary, our main goal, the reason why we do the things we do, the power behind everything that occurs in our life, the ultimate uncaused cause, the one whom we worship. God, I pray that every day we would draw closer unto you. And seriously, God, that we would be set free from the bondage of desiring someone else's ill. That we'd be set free and commit those things into the hands of God. May God judge between me and you. But I don't need to do it. And that will set me free on the path of being a man or woman after God's own heart. Lord, we thank you for this time and we ask your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, there's good.